to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. This episode of Law Enforcement Today brought to you by Galls.com, sponsoring episodes of our podcast and radio show, sponsoring our app. And they've been in business for 50 years, 50 years serving first responders and law enforcement community. They're industry leaders. They've got a huge online catalog, everything you could ever want. Galls.com, check them out. Their catalog is spectacular. Everything from like a retired guy like me to active guy like Robert, men, women, they've got everything you could ever need between tactical gear, clothing, footwear, everything. Also be sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome to the studios. Joining us from the Illinois area, Jeremy Charlo, retired police officer. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, sir. I say retired police officer. That I've been following you on Facebook. You actually just wrote an article recently for us at Law Enforcement Today. A phenomenal article, by the way. And you had just gotten your retirement from the police department. About how long ago was that? Uh, it was uh, Friday, April 13th, that I actually um, was approved for my pension. Uh, I had the pension hearing that day, and um, it went in my favor. Okay. And when you say your favor, this wasn't the path you, you had chosen. This wasn't what you wanted to have happen. You you obviously want to be a police officer. Uh, how old were you when you went on the job? Um, I started as a police officer at about 24, 25 years old at the Parkland College Police Department. It's a small college here in Champaign. Um, you know, I was a campus cop. I worked there for about a year and a half, and I, uh, I found being a campus cop wasn't as exciting as I was hoping it would be. And then you went to another agency. What agency was that? I went to the Muhammad Police Department shortly after that, um, and I'd worked there for about uh, 10 years, a little over 10 and a half years um, before they terminated my employment. Okay, so before you got retired, you were terminated. We'll, we'll discuss why in a few moments. About how old are you now that you got retirement? I am 37 years old. All right, I got retired at, at 33. And uh, I wasn't expecting it. I got hurt in the line of duty in, in a violent situation. My career ended suddenly. It was quite a shock for me. And um, I know that's been the case for you as well. People might say, okay, 37 is awfully young to be retired as if it's a great thing. The reality is the pension you get is not going to have you set for life, is it? Um, no, not, not per se. Uh, I mean, it'll help. But um, I, I, I'm going to have to find a new career path and find myself uh, and, and, and find the passion in my life again. I, uh, I wanted to be a police officer. I told my mother when I was six that I wanted to be a police officer. So I did it. And um, I lived, breathed, worked police. I mean, I, I hung out with cops. I, I, I identified as a cop. And to all of a sudden have that ripped away from you is I don't know how to express it other than very traumatic. I'm sure it's a huge loss for you because it was for me. And people always say, you know, it's a job. It, it doesn't identify you. Well, it, 
that might be true with other occupations, but police work for many of us, it, it becomes a huge part of our identity and a part of our lifestyle. We, we become part of a big family. And when it's all of a sudden gone unexpectedly, prematurely, that's a loss that's hard to overcome. I would agree. And I'd take it one step further. And, you know, you have jobs like accountants or whatnot. When the accountant goes out and hangs out with people after work and people say, oh, you're an accountant, that's usually the end of that conversation. Yeah. Um, when, when somebody says they're a police officer, you're going to get mixed emotions. Some people want to fight you right away for being a police officer during the day, you know, and other people want to harm you just because you're a cop. So, it's not just the officer who takes on the identity. The community puts that ide- identity on a police officer, even when they're not out. You're right. And I remember being on the job in Baltimore and being a young single guy and going to a party and someone say, what do you do for a living? I'd say, yeah, I'm under Baltimore police department, a police officer. And they'd say almost without fail. The first question is, did you ever shoot anybody? And yeah. I would usually yeah. say at first I was very nice. Then after a while I'd say, why would I want to talk about one of the most horrific incidents in my life with a complete stranger that I just met over a beer? Right. And they would say, well, you don't have to be like that. I was like, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. People just don't comprehend what it's like. And, and that's partly due to what the media puts out there. When I say the media, the news media, also Hollywood, that's not the reality of what policing is like, especially when it turns violent. And that's where we're going to talk about your story because – your career was ended as a result of violence. Take us to that night. That was what, May of 2016? Yeah, May 7th, 2016. What happened? Um, yeah, <laughs> and my pension was pr- approved on April 13th of 2018. Now, mind you, um, they're still, the, the accountants for the, uh, the pension board are still working on it and whatnot, so I haven't been paid or anything yet. So uh, it, it still feels all very surreal and more like a dream. It doesn't feel real yet, I guess, is the point. Did you want to talk more about the specific? Yeah, May 7th, 2016, you're on routine patrol. Yes, sir. About uh, 10 o'clock at night, um, we'd had a very slow shift. Uh, we're not, you know, we weren't doing anything, no calls for service. It was kind of just a dead night. And I'd been messaging, you know, sending text messages off and on throughout the shift uh, to other police officers, a state trooper friend of mine. And me, he and his wife were going to go see a movie after work. So about oh, 10.30 or whatnot, I decided I wanted to get some food. Prior to that, I went over and got some food, and uh, I parked where in a, one of my little hiding spots where I usually take lunch or whatever so I won't be bothered. And uh, my partner decided to make a traffic stop at about oh, 10.45. I had uh, gotten on his case a few times before. He, um, I was one of his FTOs, and I told him, hey, you know, that close to shift briefing, don't make any stops. You're going to hold our shift over, et cetera. But he didn't, you know, he continued to make stops. You know, you, you, everybody has one of those guys. I was one of those guys for a while, too. <laughs> but at any rate, I, uh, he went over the radio very quickly that he didn't need any help, which is his way of saying, hey, sorry. You know, he didn't need any help. He was just on his traffic stop alone. So I don't think anything of it. Finish my dinner, and I start headed back to shift change, um, to post for shift change. As I'm pulling in front of the police department, the police department is located on Oak in Muhammad, and there's uh, about a block to the West is a uh, uh, north and south road called Division. Um, as I approached uh, that area, I saw a vehicle turn onto Oak with no illumina- illuminated headlights. Um, I immediately radioed to my partner to say, hey, what did you stop your vehicle for? Because I didn't want to harass the same person twice for something they already knew. And I did a U-turn 
and got behind the vehicle. Okay. Um, my partner told me that he stopped a different vehicle for taillights. This one didn't have headlights. By the time I was able to catch up to the vehicle, it had turned down a side street and parked in a, in a, park, or in a driveway. At that point, I simply thought, you know, hey, let's just let him know what's going on. You know, I still want to get out of here to go see my movie. And I did what a lot of cops have done. Hey, man, get your thing. I planned on just telling him, hey, man, get your uh, lights fixed and this won't be an issue. However, as soon as I stopped my vehicle, I heard somebody yell um, an expletive in my name. And I began searching right away for who that individual was. And by the time I located him, he was running at me. I put up my left arm to stop him. And um, sorry. It's okay. Um, um, he, 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 he just started to, to, he started to punch me repeatedly in the head and chest and shoulders and whatnot. This is a guy you're just going to give a warning to. Not even a written warning. It's just, hey, get your headlights fixed. Actually, it's not even him. It was his brother. Um, the guy driving the vehicle didn't address me at all. The guy who, was, who attacked me was the gentleman that my partner had pulled over, and he was already at home waiting in the driveway for his brother, who he had called to come up to the scene because of the drama. Okay. So this guy so attacks you for basically no reason. No reason whatsoever. He was standing. In the, I saw him standing in the driveway. Then I saw him running at me. I didn't even know who he was at that point. I just knew I was being punched, and I didn't know why. And in police training, did you get a lot of hand-to-hand combat training, or was that just something that was glazed over? Um, we did. Uh, I went through the police training institute here at the University of Illinois, and they have a very good defensive tactics uh course and um i w- i spent nine years on metro swat as well and i i did a lot with control tactics and whatnot with swat as well so, so even with I, all that training when the attack comes it's nighttime and you're totally off guard were you able in your mind to come up with an effective physical defense yes actually um i i wasn't able to it was complete defense. I, I wasn't able to go on the offensive at all at that point, simply because I was trying to figure out what the hell was happening to. Right. What I did do was I put up my left arm to block the punches, and I and I moved in closer to his body, knowing that he wouldn't get in a full extension on the punches, and there wouldn't be as much force. Therefore, they wouldn't do as much damage. Smart. And, and so I moved into the punches, and instead of him hitting me in the top of the head, now he was hitting me more in the back. And I was able to absorb them with little to no effect. I tried to use my radio right away to get, you know, go code one. That's our emergency uh, code up here. And um, there was no response. I Metcad didn't hear me. I don't know if my radio got changed in the meantime, but my dispatching agency is called Metcad. I'm sorry. Um, I got to remember this is not just in my area. Right, right. <laughs> Well, let's take a break right now. We are talking with Jeremy Charlo, retired police officer. We're talking about the night he was physically attacked, and and it gets much, much worse uh, what he went through. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today. We'll be right back. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. 
That's L-E-T-18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. Do you owe back taxes to the IRS? Newsflash, the president has changed the tax laws. And now you may be able to pay the IRS less. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, the tax doctor can help you pay the IRS as little as possible allowed by law. There are new tax laws for business owners, the self-employed, even W-2 workers. If you have a back tax problem or a few years of unfilled returns. New help to save you money is now here. Call right now to see how the new tax laws can help you. Plus, right now, we'll waive the consultation fee and give you a free tax savings report. Attention business owners, the self-employed, and W-2 workers. Make this free call to the tax doctor now and learn how to take advantage of the new tax laws that may help you pay the IRS less. 800-663-5107 800-663-5107 800-663-5107 That's 800-663-5107 If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military, considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 3ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.the3ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 3ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Today show. I'm your host, John J. Wiley, retired Baltimore Police Sergeant. Joining me, retired police officer Jeremy Charlotte, retired from Muhammad Police Department in Illinois. How big of an agency was it? Well, at the time, we were seven sworn. Uh, they've been able to add at least two officers since my incident. The village had never had anything like this, and they were able to leverage my incident to get more staff. So would it be fair to say that this was a city that's small and where people don't traditionally expect a lot of crime or violent crime? Absolutely. The, the town is about 12,000. However, we had seven sworn officers because there's, um, they generally speaking, uh, you know, it was, it was a calm city. It was a, it was a rural community and we didn't have a lot of violence. The night on May 7th, 2016, you did a stop of a vehicle and basically say, Hey, get your headlights fixed because you want to go see a movie, get an off shift, and you get violently attacked by a guy, physically attacking you. Last we left, you're defending yourself by moving closer, putting your left arm. What was your next reaction to try to, to, to quell the, the attack? I, um, 
I saw my taser. I carry my taser. I carried my taser on the front left side. So in looking down, I saw my taser and I pulled it from its holster and fired the prongs into his chest and it didn't have any effect at all. Now there's another misconception. People automatically think tasers will put down anybody. That's not the case. Mm -mm. He continued to punch me as I held the trigger down on the taser and I saw him flinch a little bit, but he kept punching me. That wasn't working, so I pushed the taser into his chest and drive-stunned, and I was able to create some distance at that point. Um, up until this point, I was caught between the B post, my open door, and him punching me, so I was in that triangle, unable to get out. That's a pretty able, bad situation to, use- to be in right there. Oh, it's a very bad situation to be in. And- but but it, gets, it gets much worse. I mean, the physical assault, you, you responded with, defensive tactics and with the taser and you really didn't get a whole lot of success with those no no sir i did not what happened next i was able to create a little bit of distance when i drive stunned him enough where i was able to get out from between the car and him and i started retreating walking backward or at a at a fast backwards pace put my left hand up and i grabbed for my gun with my right arm and i started yelling stop Um, witnesses later said they heard somebody yelling stop 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 before a bunch of gunfire so between the the stop 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 and the gunfire did he start shooting first or did you or was it like an instantaneous reaction as soon as i started backing up he took a couple steps towards me and then he took a a a shooter stance you know the old style that they used to change to the the a-frame shooter stance yep he took a shooter stance like that, and I saw him grab a black pistol from his right pocket, and I began drawing mine at the same time. And I don't recall hearing any gunfire whatsoever. The next thing I felt was being hit with a sledgehammer in my right arm and this unbelievable burn that I'd never felt before. Were you knocked off your feet? No, I was not. So that's another misconception people have thanks to Hollywood, that, that uh, you apparently were shot, but you're still standing and you're actively involved in a, in a gunfight with this suspect. Not only was I still standing, but I'm right-handed and I retained my weapon in my right hand that I was shot in. Your frame of mind before the attack was, this is just going to be a verbal warning and all of a sudden you're in a fight for your life. What was the first thought that came to your mind when this started going south? I didn't have time to think. I don't recall having any other thought other than, holy hell, what is happening? And the reason I ask that is because I've had situations where I've been in police-involved shootings, and one of my first thoughts is that this person's trying to kill me. And, and I'd, I'd go between anger and total confusion. Well, during the incident itself, all I remember is just over and over again what the hell what the hell what the hell and i i I would honestly say i don't i never made a conscious thought to draw my weapon i don't remember making a conscious thought to pull the trigger i don't remember making a conscious thought to actually pull my taser or put my left hand up or move in closer what i feel happened in that instant during the whole what minute and a half that my incident took place in was it was second nature. I believe my training and experience with SWAT and um, 
just the repetitive nature of me going over the event in my mind prior to it happening. What am I going to do if I get hit? And I practiced it so much. I did exactly what I was trained to do. My training took over down to radio traffic, etc. I have the radio traffic and I uh, put it up on my Facebook a couple times of me actually going out over the radio about getting hit and then helping set up the perimeter while I'm still wounded. That's kind of hard, difficult to comprehend. While you're wounded, you're still setting the perimeter. You're trying to do your job. The gun battle, you were hit. Was the suspect hit? Um, I didn't know it at the time. Uh, so let me step back just a moment. Um, I told you, I didn't hear any gunfire. I don't know how many rounds I fired. I later learned I went through an entire magazine plus one, but I do recall taking a knee and reloading when I ran out when the slide locked back. And, um, I was carrying a Glock 23 at the time. Okay. And he at that point, I remember seeing him get off up the ground and run to the house. So I, in turn, um, I started looking for cover after I reloaded. I saw my squad car in the middle of the road. It was still in perfect shape. The door was open. Nothing wrong with it at that point. So I ran to my squad car to use that as cover so I could start setting up the perimeter after I was already hit. However, I got to the car and I just had this gut feeling like that was a bullet magnet and I needed to get away from it. Yeah, cars don't stop bullets. That's another Hollywood myth. They don't. It it, it goes right through them. And that's the difference between cover and concealment. A a, a squad car could be very good concealment, but it is not cover. If anything, the engine block is the only cover in a vehicle. And there's, uh, if trained correctly, you can even skip rounds off the ground and make that ineffective. So you you decided to not use the car as concealment or cover and opted for another position. Am I right in assuming in that? Yes, sir. And instead, I went to the corner of a building that was uh, just to the uh, west of there. And I was able to um, tie the corner and ensure that I could see who was entering or leaving the building. And then what happened? I saw him come out of the house with an AK-47. I remember thinking to myself at that time, because all I had was my pistol. My AR-15 was in the trunk of my squad car, I think. I don't recall for sure, but that's usually where I kept it. And I just ducked back behind the corner because I didn't want him to see me. I didn't want to get in a gunfight with him having the AK-47 and me having the uh, 40 cal Glock 23. Uh, to step back, the weapon he pulled from his pocket was a Ruger LCP 380. Both of those weapons are are threats, uh, first of all. But when you are in a gunfight with a pistol against someone with a uh, long rifle, especially an AK or AR, you're seriously, seriously outgunned. Folks, we are talking with Jeremy Charlo, retired police officer uh, from Muhammad, Illinois, and uh, seriously injured in a gunfight, ambush, physical assault, and... uh, his career-ending injuries. We will be talking with him more about surviving that night, his recovery, and what life is like now. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. As a small business owner, there's one word that you absolutely dread, payroll. For small businesses, it's a big burden. You may think you're saving time and money doing it yourself, but come on, are you? Timesheets, processing checks, calculating taxes, a total waste of your time. Paychex simplifies payroll processing, saving you time and money. Submit your payroll online, fax it in, 
or call your dedicated Paychex payroll specialist. And you're done. Learn more at TryPaychex.com. Come on, do the math. The IRS dishes out 8 million penalties a year. Make one mistake and you're on the hook. On average, you're losing nearly one business day every month doing payroll. That's time and money you'll never get back. Unless you get paychecks. More than half a million small businesses already do. Call 877-375-3164. Trade payroll pressure for peace of mind. Call now. 877-375-3164. That's 877-375-3164. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. That's LET18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Today show to studios. I'm being joined on the phone by Jeremy Charlotte from uh, Illinois. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking time to tell your story. It's a powerful story. I'm glad you survived. I did do some research uh, online, news articles about the night you were shot. I believe you said it was May 7th, 2016. And one of the yes, things please. they all said was he's recovering at home. He's good news. He's going to be okay. Well, the good news is it didn't end your life. The The bad news is the news media never tells people what the extent of the injuries are, what recovery is like, and we're going to do that with you in just a moment. But first, let's go back to the night that this incident occurred. The, the guy, the suspect, came back out of the house armed with an AK-47. You're taking cover around a, a house corner. You're armed with a pistol. What was the next thing that occurred? He began firing the AK-47 at my squad car. Um, he, I don't know how many rounds he used, but... Um, he made quick work of that squad car, uh, firing directly into the driver's seat. Had I been sitting in the driver's seat, I would have been killed. Uh, multiple rounds went through the driver's seat, into the steering column, even into the screen of my in-car computer that we all run plates and such on. So it's a really good thing you didn't take cover behind the police car. Absolutely. I would have died. And I'm sure you did plenty of the second-guessing what if I should have done this, could have, would have, should have. You did what you had to do to make it through and, and to be here and talk about it. That's the ultimate goal as we go home alive. Sometimes banged up, sometimes very banged up. Uh, in your case, severely banged up. But you made it home alive and here to tell the story. So the guy fired at your car, and then he made his escape? Yeah, as I was taking refuge behind the building, the midnight shift officer came on duty. This all occurred in the back yard of the police department, for lack of a better word. I mean, it, it was on the same block. Uh, we ran across the field to cover, and we were covering in the parking lot of the police department. So it's not out in some lonely, godforsaken place. It's a back door of the police department, basically. Literally, um, in the crime scene photos, you can see the police department building in the pictures, as well as squad cars and whatnot from the police department. Now, did a guy make the suspect make an escape? Yep. As we were taking cover and trying to set up a perimeter, um, he jumped into the truck that I had tried to stop. Or, I'm sorry, the truck that my partner had stopped. He had a couple weapons with him. He rammed my squad car, as, you, as uh, some of the pictures show, the door is bent all the way back. And um, 
he uh, left the area. I can be heard on the radio even as that's occurring, giving directions of which way the vehicle went over the radio. Was he finally apprehended? There was about a week-long manhunt in which the FBI, the Illinois State Police, and a bunch of other agencies were actively trying to find him. He ended up making his way out of our area after, after shooting up a local business and stealing a truck. He made it down to Shawnee National Forest, uh, where he was um, hiding out for, like I said, about a week. The FBI located him down there, and their TAC team went to take custody of him. He decided he didn't want to go nicely. He was in the attic, from what I understand, uh, shot through the floor, injuring an FBI agent. They returned fire and um, eliminated the threat. Okay. All right. So let's go. And I'm not going to ask his name. I I personally don't believe that we in the media should be giving them any publicity whatsoever for acts of violence. So I I don't do that. Uh, We're here to talk about you. You were injured that night. You were shot in the arm. What was the extent of your injuries? The extent of my injuries, I have a a small wound right underneath my funny bone. Um, It went through my forearm and exited uh, just below my wrist. My physical ailments, I still have numbness in my, in the left part of, I'm sorry, in the pinky area on my right hand. Um, I have some dexterity issues in my wrist and I get shooting pain regularly in my arm. Is that fair to say that it's like, I'm not a doctor, but is that like nerve damage? That's, they suggested it could be nerve damage, but they haven't done any further tests to make sure. Did they do surgeries? How long is your physical recuperation? My physical recuperation took about, oh, three to four months. Um, I had, I started, so the first, the first day they actually stitched both ends. And then at the same night, they removed the stitches because I guess the prevailing treatment for a gunshot wound is to leave it open so it can seat. And then I began, um, once I began physical therapy, once I was completed with physical therapy, I began what's called work hardening. And that took about three to four months, and they released me physically. The, the doctors released me physically. However, I'd already, at that point, uh, began having PTSD symptoms, was seeing a psychologist and a psychiatrist, and neither of them would release me to work. This is a part that a lot of people are very reluctant to talk about. When we talk about post-traumatic stress-type symptoms, uh, the prevailing term used nowadays is post-traumatic stress disorder. I prefer right. to use the term post-traumatic stress injury because uh, I believe it's an injury to the brain. And uh, when we break an arm or if you get shot in the arm and no one expects that arm or that leg to be back 100% the way it was before that traumatic injury, it may be functioning, it may be nearly fully functioning, but it's always going to be scarred to some degree or another. And I feel the same way about post-traumatic stress injury. Tell us a bit about your symptoms and how that affected your life. So my symptoms began um, probably about two weeks after the event. I Right after the incident, I, I was positive I wanted to go back to work. I'd been a police officer for most of my adult life, and I wasn't ready to give it up yet. I, um, everything I was doing for the next six, eight months, uh, was trying to get back to work. But as things went on, I remember, I started to feel 
angry at first. It started with anger. I was just so angry that this happened to me. I started asking why a lot. Why did this happen? Why did he choose me? What happened? You know, a lot of questioning of the event, what I did, what he did. How could I have made this less of an issue? How could I have done differently? The the coulda, shoulda, wouldas that that we all tend to do. Yeah. Well, and it didn't help that I was also being Monday morning quarterbacked by other people in my department. Well, and and you know what? I'm sure you've seen that on social media. That's one of the things that people love to do from the comfort of their their keyboard, uh, especially in, oh, those in law enforcement, those out of it. They love to, to pass their judgments of what you should have done differently. You know, I, I fully expected the media to get a hold of it and then, you know, kind of twist it and whatnot. However, I was actually impressed with the media. They didn't twist anything. They reported honestly to the best of their ability, I believe. However, all of them had forums for public comment. And that is where I was just destroyed. It was obvious by some of what some of the people are saying that I had arrested them before. And um, I mean, I was just everything from uh, being accused of sleeping with the man's wife. And that's why I shot him to I was just mad and wanted to shoot him for a prior contact that we had. I mean, the beating I took in the public was horrible. I mean, it made me question everything. Was that the worst part, you think? No, the worst part was that I really felt as though my department had abandoned me. Now, again, my department is made of seven at the time. I was one of them, so there's only six left. Three of them are on their pension board and are told not to talk to me because of the pension potential, you know, of those issues. In addition, you know, none of the, none of the uh, prevailing practices on how to treat an officer after the incident was followed. I was not given a new weapon after mine was taken away. Um, it took the state police over a week to interview me, and I was not allowed to talk about my situation with anybody until the interview. And it still took another four or five days after that before the critical incident debrief occurred. So before I even got to uh, talk about anything, I'm a week and a half out before I even get to talk to anybody about my emotion. And I feel like that in itself caused a lot more problems than would it would have been there had the prevailing practice has been followed. Folks, we are talking with Jeremy Charlo, retired police officer, uh, survived a brutal assault, and they include uh, physical violence and being shot, and uh, the dealing with the aftermath of physical recovery, the emotional recovery, the mental. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. That's LET18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. 
Warning, don't let your business get left behind in what is likely to be the biggest economic boom in recent history. If you need to build for your business to grow, call General Steel today for a pre-engineered steel building designed for your needs. No wasted space. Steel prices are expected to rise, but you can still lock in your price on a General Steel building. And you can still save as much as half the cost and time of conventional construction. As much as half. But you must call now. If you need a church building, office, warehouse, manufacturing space, retail space, or more, call General Steel today. You can still get the General's 50-year structural warranty and General Steel quality, all at a price you can afford. So don't let rising steel prices put your project out of reach and stop you from making your company great. 800-614-7180-800-614-7180-800-614-7180-That's 800-614-7180. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. Remember in the beginning, when you first started to build a life for you and your family, you never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation on how to get rid of that debt for good. Call the Debt Helpline now. We work on your behalf to reduce your debt. We specialize in credit cards, retail store cards, and medical bills. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. Stop living with debt and start living your dreams. Call the Debt Helpline now. 800 948 6817. 800 948 6817. That's 800 uh, the recuperation, and and now we're talking about a subject that really doesn't get discussed uh, as much as it should. The physical injuries are better. You're you're recuperating, but you're struggling with post traumatic stress type symptoms and a lack of support from your agency. Is that a fair assessment? Um, I don't know that it's a lack of support as much as they don't know what to do. I'm the first officer in this department to have been in this kind of an incident. Um, I simply feel that my department didn't have the resources available to them to get everything they needed for me. And I think there was a little bit of a fear that they didn't know what was going on and maybe they didn't want to end up like me. I don't know. I think that's an accurate portrayal because what happens quite often in my experience has been that we walk around with the attitude that the bad stuff's not going to happen to us. 
number one. So when it happens to someone we work with and someone we know and someone we're close to, it, it brings the fear all too close to home for us. So there's a defense mechanism. That's number one. Number two, a lot of agencies, they mean very, very well. But if they haven't been in a situation where they have officers that have been in critical incidents, they oftentimes don't know what to do. And if they don't have clear-cut policies and procedures, they're really floundering. And even when they do have some policy procedures that haven't been done in so long, if ever, no one really is quite familiar with what the next thing should be done. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned policies. Uh, two years prior to my shooting incident, I had open-heart surgery um, due to a congenital defect. And uh, they did give me light duty, and I rewrote the policies at that point um, using, um, oh, I believe LexisNexis. Okay. Um, so I, I didn't rewrite them per se. I just modified them to fit our department. And, um, that was less than two years prior to this incident. So our, our, uh, policy manuals and everything included everything I just talked about. They simply just weren't followed, I guess. Gotcha. I don't like to accuse people or agencies of not doing the right thing. So when I say a lack of support, it wasn't meant as, done maliciously or intentionally unfortunately that's just what happens sometimes and sometimes that's our perception even when people right. try it's just not uh, enough and that was the case for me you know I, it turns out that a lot of the people i worked with were there for me the best way they could i just wasn't available for them to help me i think that is a very fair assessment i don't think any of them had any malicious let me rephrase that I'm pretty sure that all but one of them had my best interest in heart. Um, I, there was a one officer that I didn't get along with, and we're just simply not going to get along with everybody. So I don't think he lost any sleep, but that's beside the point. <laughs> okay. Let's talk I don't about, think there was any malicious intent by my, my department. And, and you know, I, I'm glad you said that because, that, like I said, that was the case for me. I, I was the one who really, once I was retired, or even before the, the doctors decided you can't go back to work, all of a sudden you're not there anymore. And, yep. you know, everybody's got a life to live. They're busy. They're doing their jobs. They got their families to raise. And I'm struggling with my things. And I'm not really someone that can be easily reached out to say, hey, you need help or whatever. I was like in full retreat mode at that point. So it was a combination. Most of the combination was, I say, due to my part. You just got retired. Yes, sir. How would you describe your life? And I'm not talking about the physical recovery. The physical recovery takes however long it takes, and sometimes it never gets totally better. How would you describe how you're doing mentally and emotionally afterwards? Well, I don't go a week without having nightmares. I mean, uh, probably every two or three days I'm having nightmares, and unfortunately in my nightmares, I'm reliving it. You know, it, it isn't always exactly the same, but in every single one of those nightmares, I'm getting hurt. I'm getting shot. I'm, you know, I'm, somebody's trying to kill me. I can't leave the house without fear that somebody is trying to kill me. I, the anxiety is so overwhelming that I shake when I'm in public. If there are too many people around, I, according to my family member, I've went from a happy-go-lucky person to somebody with a fuse that doesn't even need a match to ignite me. And I'm overly hypervigilant. I'm watching everybody. There is never a downtime, and I'm exhausted all the time. 
That pretty much covers all of them, doesn't it? Yeah. The exhaustion caused by hypervigilance, the irritability. It's hard to describe to people how how volatile the emotions can be. And I think part of it's just because you just can't relax. You can't calm down. Well, I had an incident in uh, Frankenmuth, Michigan over the winter. Um, they have an ice festival up there where they do ice carvings and whatnot. And I was there with my family, uh, me, uh, my girlfriend, and her four kids. And um, we were walking across the street, and there's a vehicle about 40 feet away. Now, this, there's thousands of people at this event. You know, it's all over town. So there's people crossing the street everywhere. We were using a, a crosswalk. The guy honked at us. Uh, Jessica and the girls hurried quick across the road to get out of the way. But the next thing I know, I'm standing in the middle of the road next to this guy, politely, I'll put the air quotes around politely, asking him to step out of the vehicle. I don't recall why I was angry. I don't recall how I got to his vehicle. I don't even recall exactly what I said. What I do recall is him locking the doors and taking off like a bat out of hell and people in the crowd kind of just cheering because the guy deserved to get yelled at, I guess. I don't know why they were cheering, but that is the, that is, that is a perfect example of the short fuse as well as the blinding rage and the, the, the memory issues all involved in the same thing. And all too often with post-traumatic stress injury and symptoms, People resort to self-medication with alcohol. Had that become an issue for you? Yes, it did. Okay. Um, and, I, uh, and are you still are you still doing that? I'm, I don't want to go into details, but are you still doing that, or have you found that uh, that's not something that's beneficial? Well, I, I about eight months and uh, twenty-eight days ago, I decided that if I continued on that path, it was going to cause the end of me. And you're Either. probably 100% right, because I always say that's like throwing jet fuel on, on a campfire. Well, I had already planned my own suicide at that point, and they'd already taken all my guns out of my household because of that. Well, let me rephrase that. They didn't take them. I was offered the option to remove all the guns from my house, or I was going to be uh, involuntarily admitted to a hospital. So I, I was able to turn over all of my weapons, and I'm not going to tell you how many or what kind, but... <laughs> uh, I, I was able to leave my weapons with a trusted friend in order to protect myself and and then move forward. Are you still doing the ongoing treatment? Yes, I am being treated by doc, uh, my doctor on about a bi-weekly basis at this point, and then I see my psychiatrist every three months. Well, I'm so glad you took time to talk to us, and I, I want to say this. If you're struggling with these symptoms... The one thing I tell people all the time is one of the things we learned as police officers is that we had to stay in the fight. You know, when you're in a, a physical fight, whether it be fist, a knife, gun, whatever it might be, you have to stay in the fight until it's over. You, you can't give up. And it's the same thing with post-traumatic stress type symptoms and the injury. You got to stay in the fight because it does get better. Jeremy Charlo. Thanks so very much for spending time with us today. Thanks for recounting your story. I know it wasn't easy for you. I appreciate it. And I want to say this. I, I don't say this enough. Thank you so very much for your service. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. In every community across the United States, 
towns, cities, states. We have law enforcement officers. We have first responders. We have incredible stories of heroism from our first responders. From law enforcement officers, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters. In addition to that, we have heroic crime victim survivors. If you want to tell your story of survival and how you recovered and how you rebuilt your life, feel free to contact us. We'd love to have you as a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. We made it so easy to get a hold of us, too. There's many different ways. Go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. The Contact Us page is the webpage. Download our free app on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. You can contact us through the free app. You can contact us on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Heck, send me an email. My email address is j, that's J-A-Y, at lawenforcementtoday.com. You see, we'd love to hear your story. And we know, we hear so often, I have a story to tell, but no one will give me a platform. Law Enforcement Today is your platform. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Law Enforcement Today. On behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.